Well, good morning. We're going to be in Hebrews chapter 1 today. Uh, you want to turn there in your Bibles. We're going to be in verses 1 to 3. Before we open up God's Word to, to preach and understand, let's pray. Dear Father God, we thank you this morning, Lord, that we can come to your place of worship and that we can get into the Word of God, Lord, and understand what it is you have to tell us. Lord, help this Word to change our lives. Help this Word, Lord, to impact us. Father, help the message to be clear. Lord, thank you for this blessing of being here in this pulpit. In your precious name, Father. Amen. Well, as I said, we had a... A uh, trip across the country. We traveled about 2,800 plus miles. Uh, we saw lots of desert. You know, when you leave California, Burbank, California, and you travel east, uh, there's about 800 miles of desert. That's from here to Chicago, almost. That's a lot of dead stuff. We saw all kinds of things. We saw the beauty of God's creation. Just vast open spaces uh, in Missouri uh, and in Oklahoma. We saw great mountain peaks. Uh, For those of you kids who saw um, the movie Cars, uh, they modeled a lot of that after the mountains in New Mexico. Just beautiful, gorgeous red rocks. Uh, We saw huge things. One of the most impressive things we saw was the Grand Canyon. And when you hear about the Grand Canyon, you go, yeah, that that sounds really impressive. When you see the Grand Canyon, it takes your breath away. There is nothing like walking up to the edge of the Grand Canyon and looking straight down a mile. It just blows you away. You can look as far as you want to the left. Hundreds of, uh, 217 miles is how long the Grand Canyon is. So it's beyond your sight to the left, it's beyond your sight to the right. Uh, It takes, uh, I forget how long to travel around it, uh, a long time. Um, But one of the things that's interesting about seeing the Grand Canyon is that your understanding of it changes when you see it in person. You know, Jesus Christ is like that. When you hear about Jesus and you hear about other people's faith and you hear about the things that they think about Jesus, it's kind of neat. It's like someone who might know the president and you think it's kind of neat that they know him. But wouldn't you like to know him? Or maybe you'd have some things you'd like to say to the president. Um, But when you come face to face with Jesus Christ and he changes you, when he gets a hold of your heart... There's there's nothing better than that. It changes your definition of who Jesus Christ is. And that's important because your faith rests in an accurate understanding of Jesus Christ. And when you come face to face with the Grand Canyon, you get an accurate understanding of the Grand Canyon. It's magnificent. It's incredible. It's, It's very hard to describe if you haven't been there. And you can drive for 40 minutes along the rim, which we did when we left the Grand Canyon. We still traveled along it. And there's viewpoints. And you can take magnificent photos. It changes your understanding of the Grand Canyon. And a picture, after you've seen it face to face, just won't do. And this morning, we're going to look at a picture of who Jesus Christ is. 
And just like your view of the Grand Canyon grows and expands, I want our view and understanding of Jesus Christ to grow and expand. Hebrews was was written to believers. It was written to believers. Some of them were discouraged. And they were encouraged in Hebrews 10.9. But we are not of those who shrink back and are destroyed. But of those who have faith and preserve their souls. You know, there's a great momentum that thrives in the courage and the knowledge that you have a strong foundation. None of you are worried right now that the foundation of this church is going anywhere. You didn't even think about it until I just mentioned it. Maybe now you're thinking about the chair you're sitting on. Hopefully that won't fail either. But when your Christian faith is on the bedrock of Jesus Christ... You can endure things in life and you can actually reflect God's glory in a way that gives him honor and praise. And so the writer of Hebrews wants to impact this Hebrew culture with who Jesus Christ is so that they can live and bring him glory, living in faith no matter what happens. So if you're discouraged, maybe life is hard right now. Maybe finances are really tight. Maybe there's some arguing at home, or maybe things are going great. Whatever the situation is, it's always good to come back to Scripture and to see the words of Scripture and have that charge us and give us a vigor and a life that other people want to know about so that we can show them Jesus Christ face to faith. Face to faith, excuse me. Hebrews 10.38 says, But my righteous one shall live by faith. And so as we look at Hebrews chapter 1 this morning, this message is for you, that you may be encouraged, that your faith may rest not on just some nebulous understanding of who Jesus Christ is, but by the very words of God. And when somebody asks you, tell me about the faith and the hope that you have, you can say, let's turn over to Hebrews chapter 1. Let me tell you about Jesus Christ. It's going to blow your mind. That's what we want to do today. We want to learn more about the beauty of Jesus Christ and grow and expand our knowledge of Him so that we can live faithful lives. Well, this was written to Hebrew converts. The background of Hebrews is that it was written to Hebrew converts. Um, They were steeped in the Old Covenant, the Old Testament, where the priest had to make sacrifices for sin all the time. And so the law came through Moses, Scripture says, and that's a picture of the Old Testament. But grace and truth comes through Jesus Christ. And so the writer is trying to transform this culture of rituals to the grace-filled life that comes through faith in Jesus Christ. So for those of you who are into outlines, what we're going to do is the first verse is our first point that God spoke through the prophets. The second point will be verses 2 and 3 that God spoke through His Son. We're going to spend most of our time just learning about the Son. And you may have been a Christian for a long time, but there's always depths you can plumb in God's Word. And then we're going to see what's our response when you come face to face with Jesus Christ. What's your response? What are you going to do with Him? So look at verse 1 with me. Let me read to you verses 1 to 3, actually. Long ago... At many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, He has spoken to us by His Son, whom He appointed the heir of all things, through whom He created the world. 
He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of His nature, and He upholds the universe by the word of His power. After making purifications for sins, He sat down at the right hand of the Majesty on high. And we're going to stop at that point today. So let's look at verse 1. How did God speak to our fathers? Well, the scriptures say, looking at verse 1, that long ago, at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. Now, this many ways, it's narrative, it's poetry. The Old Testament is written in many different kinds of literature. It's because the beauty of God needs the vast array of our literature to help describe who He is. You can't just walk up to the Grand Canyon and say, wow, that's, that's big. I mean, that's, it was long. I mean, they're, they're going to have no idea what you're talking about. Um, you know, football fields are big and long. Is that the same thing as a Grand Canyon? So when he writes in many ways, it's poetry, it's narrative. He gives us law to live by. gives us doctrine in the Old Testament. He gives us encouragement. And he gives us rebuke when we go astray. So that's what it means. Long ago, at many times and in many ways, he spoke to us. And how did God speak? Look at the scriptures. God spoke to our fathers. Now our fathers, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, um, by the prophets, it says there at the end of verse 1. The prophets, Moses, Elijah, Elisha, King David, Samuel. All of these people, they spoke. But did they speak their own words? No. They spoke God's words. Well, how do we know that? We think that, but do we really know that? Well, first, 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 21 explains it to us. It says, No prophecy was ever produced by the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit, like a sailboat being pushed along by the wind. It only moves when the wind is there. Paul wrote, Peter wrote, the prophets wrote in the Old Testament, but they only wrote the words of God. And the words you have are not just words on, on some pages. It's the very words of God. And if you realize that, and if you understand that, and if it changes you, then you're going to live differently. When people attack the Christian faith, you go to the Word of God and you tell them, you know what, you might be attacking me because I'm a Christian, but there's a bigger problem. You're attacking Jesus Christ and you're standing on His planet. We need to expand people's understanding of who this is that we serve. This is not just some God. This is the God. And the God of the Old Testament spoke to us through the prophets as they were moved along by the Holy Spirit. You can think of the Old Testament in this way. It's a, it's a promise through the law. And you can think of the New Testament in this way, that it's a fulfillment of that promise. What is the promise? That there would be a coming Messiah who would take away the sins of the world. You can see that in Psalm 2. You can see that in Isaiah. You can see that in Genesis 3.15. You can see that all over the place. But if we miss Jesus, you miss the whole point. So the first point here is just that this is... This is God's Word, and we need to know that, and we need to trust it. Just like you trust the chair you're sitting in, that chair is going to be, uh, it's not going to take you through the day, but God's Word will take you through all of life, and it can change your heart. So how do we get from the Old Testament to the New Testament? Well, John chapter 1, 17 explains it to us. It says, For the law was given through Moses, but grace and truth 
came through Jesus Christ. So let's look at verse verse 2. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his Son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, and through whom he also created the world. We must ask ourselves, who is the Son? You know, when Jesus wanted to clarify Peter's zeal, he asked him that very question. He said, Peter, who do people say that I am? And that's in Matthew 16. That's the same question you and I need to answer. Who do people say Jesus is? And we find the answer in the Word of God. In the Word of God. He tells Peter, uh, he asks Peter, who do people say I am? And Peter says, well, you are the Christ. You're the Son of the living God. And he says, Peter, flesh and blood did not reveal this to you, but our Father who is in heaven. You see, it's God who illuminates the heart and understanding of God's word. And then Jesus tells Peter, and you are Peter. And on this rock, I will build my church. And the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. You see, in Charlestown, in Brunswick, in Hamilton, Hagerstown, D.C., they need to know that there is a Savior. And He is building His church. And that is what's so nice, excuse me, about you guys letting us come here and tell you about the work of the Lord that is going on in Hamilton. And it's about to die. And we have the opportunity to, to make that church a light for the gospel. We have an opportunity to make the light strong and to stick a stake in the ground and say, Satan, this is not your town. And that is what we are going to do in Hamilton, Lord willing. We are going to say, this church is not going to die. And we are going to come in and we are going to preach the gospel. And it's going to change lives and it's going to transform hearts. But we have to preach it accurately. We have to know who the Son is. And that's why for Hebrews, this writer, he starts out just telling them who the Son of God is. And we have to get it right. And we have to do it by learning God's Word. So that is very important, who the Son of God is. You know, I've been in churches from the East Coast, and I've been in Brunswick. I've been in um, New York, near White Plains, New York, and worked across the border in Connecticut. I've been in Davenport, Iowa, a church of 500. I've been in Sun Valley, California, in a church of 6,000 people. Where it's like the whole city is at church. Just imagine if everyone in the whole area came to this church. You might need a new building. I'm sorry you just paid it off. But, you know, if the Lord brings more people, what if this 50-some acres was full of people serving Jesus Christ? And what if the whole area knew all the way to D.C. that if you want to hear the Word of God, this is where you come, right here. Well, the Word's getting out. And I think that's why Peter down in Hamilton, called Pastor Van and said, we need help because he knows the word of God is preached here and he knows that is what is going to help us. So what does he say? Who does he say the son is? Look at the end of verse 2. He appointed him the heir of all things and the creator of the world. That is an amazing statement. And think about your house right now or your apartment or college students, that apartment or house you'd like to have someday. And maybe your grandparents. Maybe you have something to leave behind to those who are coming after you. 
Maybe it's a small inheritance. Maybe it's a huge inheritance. Well, what if, what if your inheritance was all of the state of West Virginia? What if you said, kids, daddy owns the state, and it's all yours. And what if we combine Virginia and West Virginia? Just put them back together again. I mean, that's, doesn't that, young people, doesn't that sound like a good inheritance? You get a couple of states, and there's a lot of money to be made in the states, right? Well, what if your inheritance was the entire world? Everybody who owned anything had to get it from you. Now we're talking, right? That is huge. And some rulers in our times have tried to do that. Napoleon and others in other ways, they've tried to gain the whole world. But what they were doing was they were walking on God's ground, not knowing it was His. And we need to know that this is the Lord's place, and this is the Lord's area. And other people out there need to know that. Because they need to know they need to serve Jesus Christ. And if they don't, one day, He will come as their judge. And that will not be a pretty day. So He is the heir of all things. Prince William, Duke of Cambridge, just had a young son who is now the heir. He's going to inherit a good bit of money and political problems, as he'll find out, and all kinds of things. But it is no match for inheriting all things. And I don't just mean this earth. All things includes the universe. All things. Not just on this planet, not just this solar system, but everywhere. I mean, that is an inheritance. So we can stop right there and say there's no one like Christ. But he goes on. And what does he say next there at the end of verse 2? Through whom he, that is God, created the world. So he's not only going to inherit everything. In the, in the beginning, he created everything. And what does Genesis 1.1 say? In the beginning, who created? God. Wait a minute. This says God created the world through Jesus Christ. So what is that saying about who Jesus Christ is? We look in Isaiah 44.24. God alone stretched out the heavens. So now it's narrowed down to God and no one else. And also in Isaiah 45.18 it says... I am the Lord, that is Yahweh, and there is no other. This is a tension that Jesus Christ is God. It's a mystery of the Trinity. He's one in essence, but there's three persons. And the more you think about it, it's going to blow your mind. And you need to look into it. You need to read Hebrews. You need to go home this week and study it and look at it and say, Lord, help me understand it. So that it can invigorate you to live a life that's pleasing to the Lord. Right? Hebrews 11 is a chapter on faith. But before you get to that chapter and have great faith, you've got to know in whom your faith rests. And that is what Hebrews is talking about. He's the creator of all things. Look down in Hebrews chapter 1, verse 8. Hebrews chapter 1, verse 8. But of the Son, he says, your throne, O God, is forever and ever. He calls Jesus God. That's a quotation from the Old Testament. You see, the plan all along was to have the Messiah come. This man who came down, born of a virgin, lived a perfect life, died for the sins of the world, 
so that you and I could be saved. But that's not all, so that you and I could live a righteous life and promote the glory of God. That is what your life is about. Matthew 28 tells us it's about disciple making and it's to go into all the world and proclaim the gospel. Have you done that? When's the last time you did that? When you go out to lunch today, that waiter or waitress needs to know Jesus. Give them a great tip, by the way. Don't stiff them with a couple of bucks. Show them the generosity from the one who owns all things. Let them know. Expand their vision. Why did this guy give me a $20 tip for a $10 meal? Give them a reason to ask you why you live the way you do. Let us not be like the culture, but let us show people Jesus Christ. Well, that's not all. He's the heir of all things. He's the creator of the world. And that's a pretty good resume so far. But let's look in verse 3 and see what else he has to say. He is the radiance of the glory of God. This radiance, it's like the light coming from the sun. The sun and its light cannot be separated. Right? You can't separate the sun from the light that illuminates from it. And that light is what reveals things in the darkness. You're not actually seeing all the objects in this room. You're seeing the light reflected off of everything in the room. My shirt's blue because it absorbs every other color of the light except blue and it reflects it back to you. So you see, oh, Dave's got a blue shirt on. Well, you're seeing the blue light reflected from my shirt. And if you put a white piece of paper here, it would be blue. Jesus Christ reflects the glory of God. If you want to know God, you get to know Jesus Christ, who is God in the flesh. Jesus Christ said, if you have seen me, you have seen who? The Father. That's what this radiance of the glory of God means. He he not only reflects, but like the sun, he gives off light. It's not like the moon, which has no light of its own. Jesus Christ said he is the light of the world. So he, he puts off the radiance and the glory of God, but he himself has that light because he also is God. We need to teach that to our children. We need to teach that to our neighbors. They need to know this. And that light will illuminate the darkness. And you go on in verse 3. And he is the exact imprint of his nature. The exact imprint of his nature. What is that talking about? Well, it's like taking a quarter and a piece of putty and sticking the quarter in the putty. And when you pull the quarter up, the imprint of the quarter is left in the putty. That's an imprint. Well, Jesus Christ is the imprint of God's nature. Not just similar but the exact imprint of his nature. This is shocking to the Hebrews. If you come along and you say, I am the exact imprint of his nature, they're all going to have stones in their hands faster than you can turn around and run. Because that's blasphemy unless it's true. So right here you have that either the, the definition given in Hebrews is blasphemous, or it's true. And I'm here to tell you, it's true that Jesus Christ is one in essence with God the Father. And that's another picture of the Trinity. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit are all one in essence. Another one of those words that's hard to understand. Three persons, one essence. Exact imprint of His nature. People come face to face with Jesus. You've seen the Father. 
like the Grand Canyon. We need to take people right up to the feet of Jesus so that they can know Him and see Him and so that they can be changed by Him. You can't walk away from the Grand Canyon and not have a bigger, more grand definition of beauty. You can't, have an ex- you can't go to the Grand Canyon and not have an expanded understanding of God's creation. It just blows your mind to be able to look as far as you can and not be able to see the end of it. It's the same way with Jesus Christ. You can never plumb the depths of God's Word, but I would encourage you, plumb its depths every day. You could spend months in these three verses. It will just blow your mind as you look and you see and you see what God's Word reveals. This should whet your appetite. This is a meal here today. But you guys should have restaurants at home where you're serving up the gospel every day. Where you're serving up scripture every day. And the kitchen should always be going. I'm sure none of you just eat once a week. You can tell I don't either. Right? We need to be feeding on the nourishing word of God all the time. All the time. And then let's go on. Let's go on and see what it says next. He's the, let's start at verse 3 so you don't get lost. He is the radiance of the glory of God, the exact imprint of His nature, and He upholds the universe by the word of His power. I mean, this just keeps getting bigger and bigger and bigger. The chair you're sitting on is actively being sustained by God. Jesus Christ is the sustainer. Uphold and sustain are the same in the Greek. He sustains everything. You're going to take a breath. That breath you just took was only possible because God is holding everything together. The atoms in this room are all held together by God. That's what it means when He sustains the universe. It's not that He is a deist. A deist is somebody who says, okay, God, what He did is He took and He made the world and then He went on a big vacation for the rest of eternity and He just lets the world do whatever the world's going to do. And that's why we have earthquakes and famines and destruction. But I'm here to tell you, if you thought Jesus dying on the cross was bad, God took it for good. God made that happen. There is nothing out of the control of God. If you read scripture, it says that Pilate and the Jews were under the control of God to bring about the will of God. It's amazing. And the power inside one atom, if you split one atom, what happens? Right? Nuclear explosion, enough to decimate a whole city. Wipe out all of D.C. just like that. Pray it never happens. The U.S. has done that before. We've dropped bombs like that. The bombs we have now are immense in power compared to that. God sustains even that. There's enough atoms in the size of a sugar cube to detonate the whole solar system. One-tenth of a billionth of a meter is the size of an atom. Yeah, I don't know what that means. It just means really small. Right? All the stars in the universe... It's the same number of stars in the universe or the same number of atoms in, in a sugar cube. You blow all those up, the solar system blows up in a sugar cube. Think of that when you're making your next coffee, right? Hope this thing works. Put it in there. <laughs> God sustains everything actively all the time. These people who are breathing their breath and using their breath to defame the name of Jesus need to know that. 
they need to know that their breath and this the series that you guys have been going through on the Ten Commandments. And when we were here, Van was talking about being cautious of your words. They need to know that the, the breath that they take to defame the name of Jesus, God sustains. And one day they'll give an account for that. So he is the sustainer of the universe. I mean, this is pretty good so far, right? So far we've, we've talked about how that he is appointed the heir of all things. He created the world. He's the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. And he upholds the universe by the word of his power. There's no one like him. No one like him. And then it goes on. And what does it say after that? After making purifications for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. You see, you need to know what to do with Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ came preaching a message of repentance and faith. And Matthew, right before he chose the disciples, the scripture says, and from that time on, he came preaching, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. So before Jesus chose any of his disciples, his message was simple, his message was clear. You can look that up in Matthew chapter 4, verse 17. And he says, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And that's the message we need to carry to people. We need to expand their view that God's, Jesus was not just a good person. He claimed to be God, and they wanted to stone him to death for the claims that he made. We need to tell him who he is, that he's the exact imprint of his nature. Bring that up the next time you're having coffee with a coworker. And when, after their eyes get done uncrossing... You can tell them, you know, look, that's what the Bible says. That's who Jesus Christ is. And we need to have the same message that Jesus Christ had. We need to have the same message that Peter had in Acts. You wonder what the message is that changed and transformed all those people in Acts? Like in chapter 2, the day of Pentecost and the Holy Spirit's coming down and all these people are talking and all kinds of miraculous things are going on for the introduction of the Holy Spirit. What does Peter say in uh, Acts chapter 2, verse 38? Repent, be baptized. In other words, repent for the forgiveness of your sins. Because you're now forgiven, you need to be baptized and show the world that you are no longer the same. And that's what happens here when you walk up and you see who Jesus Christ is. You're never the same again. In Acts 8.22, it talks about repenting and praying. In Acts 2.38, repenting and be baptized. Acts 3.19, repent and return. The message is simple, but we need to be clear with it. And why is that? Because look at verse, 30, look at verse three, uh, 3. He made purifications for sins. Once for all, Hebrews says. Nine times, Hebrews says, he, he made purifications for sins once for all. Unlike the Hebrew system, which was a system of sacrifice, and the priests had to make sacrifices over and over again, day after day after day, constantly killing these uh, spotless lambs to make atonement for the sin of the people. Jesus Christ, who was the sinless, perfect sacrifice, willing, I might add, willing, perfect, sinless, spotless sacrifice, he died once for all people. And there's only one name under heaven by which we must be saved. People need to know that. It's not through good works. 
Christianity, true biblical Christianity, is separated from every other religion based on this one point, that your works do not get you into heaven. The blood of Jesus Christ gets you into heaven. We need to serve our king here so when we see our king face to face, he can say, well done. He can say, you're a good and faithful servant. He didn't say perfect. No one's like that. And that's why we need this sacrifice which pays for our past, present, and future sins. And that's what makes this um, grace that now comes through Jesus Christ so much superior to the Old Testament law. You don't have to keep making sacrifices. Jesus did it on the cross. And if you repent and believe, you too can be saved. For by grace you have been saved through faith. It's not of yourselves. It's a gift of God. It's not of works, so that no one may boast. Ephesians 2, 8, 9. But it doesn't stop there. We need to keep on with the good works. Verse 10 in Ephesians 2, 10 says, We're His workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works. We need to take this understanding of who Jesus is, that He's made purification for sin. And why is that? Because if we don't, when He sits down at the right hand of the majesty on high, the end of verse 3 there, that's the seat of authority and power. And when He comes back, He's not going to be a spotless lamb. He's going to be the ruler, the sustainer, the exact imprint of the nature of God. He's going to be the one who comes to judge the world for sin and unrighteousness. And unless they have the blood of Jesus covering their sins, He will judge them to an eternity in hell. People need to know that. And you and I, we need to tell them that. And how long has it been since we told them? We need to tell them today. We need to tell them next week. We need to tell our families, our relatives. We need to preach it to ourselves and preach it to everyone who will hear. And what did Jesus say on the cross in closing? Jesus in John 19.30 said, It is finished. Once life is over, there's no more chances. Unlike Catholicism, which says there's purgatory and you can work off your time in purgatory and you do all these seven rites and then you can get into heaven based on all these things you do, the Bible says, Jesus said, it's finished. It's finished. And that's good news. That is the good news that we need to share with people. And I hope this has been encouraging to you today. I hope that Hebrews 1, 1 to 3 will challenge your understanding of who God is. Why? So that you can live by faith and share Christ with those who need to hear. Just like the Grand Canyon, it's one thing to hear about it, and it's another thing to see it. We need to share the gospel with people so that they can see Jesus. Let's pray. Lord, I just thank you for this message. Father, I thank you for your word. Lord Jesus, please give uh, Pastor Van and the elders here and the body, Lord, great blessings for all the work that you're doing through them. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for your kindness to us and, and letting me preach today, Lord, your word. Amen.